Hey there, I'm Adam Rissman, and welcome to another episode of Inside Intercom. This week, we're diving back into product management. Specifically, how do we validate our product assumptions to make sure that what we're building and improving upon accomplishes some very key things? Are we truly solving our customers' pain points or helping them accomplish their goals in a better, faster, easier way? And along with that, are we actually delivering value back to our own business as well? Core to accomplishing all of this is testing and experimentation, of course. But as your company scales, scaling your experiments and keeping everyone informed on their impact can easily get complicated. So this week, I've got someone joining me here in the studio who will break down the ins and outs of experimentation at scale. That's Claire Vo, VP of Product Management at Optimizely. Optimizely, if you're not familiar, is a platform that lets businesses experiment deeply into their technology stack and broadly across the entire customer experience. Claire joined the company back in 2017 when the startup that she had previously founded, Experiment Engine, was acquired by Optimizely. And going back even before that, she actually led product management and user experience teams at several e-commerce and tech companies, including Electronic Arts and Uship. In my chat with Claire, she explains the importance of a culture of experimentation within your product org. There are no genius product managers, right? There's no one who just absolutely knows how a customer is going to react. But the best product managers really approach things with the mindset of, this is a hypothesis I have. This is how I'm going to measure whether or not I'm right. And I'm going to cycle through that quickly to get to the answer for the business and for the customers. The role of her team's weekly cross-functional experiment review sessions. It helps us do is train all parts of the organization on how to frame a good experiment, how to build a good hypothesis. And just by being in that room, somebody's idea gets better a week down the road. And why it's imperative that your team documents and democratizes the results of its work. I, in fact, went to a company that ran about 250 experiments per year, pretty high volume. And I said, well, can you give me an overview of what experiments have won and lost and sort of the themes of your experimentation program, what it looks like? And they said, oh, well, Bob knows. What if Bob gets hit by a bus? I just was flabbergasted and I said, okay, this is a solvable problem. If you enjoy my chat with Claire, be sure to check out our full archive of Inside Intercom episodes. We've got more than 100 conversations about all things startups from marketing and engineering and product management to sales and the business side of things. You can find all the episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever you go for podcasts these days. And now let's hop in the studio where I'm joined by Optimizely's Claire Vo. You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. Claire, welcome to Inside Intercom. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so just to get us started, it seems like every product manager has a very, very different path. What was yours into the field? Sure. So I have one of those highly lucrative liberal arts degrees. And so I got a non-traditional academic start Mm -hmm. in product management. But I started my first job at a company called U-Ship out of Austin, Texas. And it was that classic startup PM role where I was the employee number 13. Mm -hmm. And the reason I gravitated towards product is you really got to do everything at that stage. You were building marketing, you're building messaging, but you're also building experiences. And that really resonated with what I was excited about. And so I continued along my career and ultimately ran several product teams, including one at Electronic Arts. 
But at that company, I really decided I was ready for entrepreneurship, and I had this idea about how to make experimentation at scale easier. So Mm -hmm. I quit my job. I moved to Southeast Asia for a little bit, and then I founded a company called Experiment Engine. And I ran that company for about three years, and then it was acquired by Optimizely. So that's how I got to Optimizely, and now I am the VP of product there, and I help run all of our product strategy and development and design teams. Awesome. And what's the the size of your product team? How's it structured? Anything you can share there? Yeah. So we have about 10 people on the product team and then a handful of product designers. We have our product team focused in three major areas. We have a team of PMs focused on our experimentation products. Mm -hmm. So those are our web experimentation, web personalization, and full stack, basically server-side experimentation products. Then I have a set of PMs focused on our data products. So our events pipeline, our data processing, our statistics, and all of our reporting around your experimentation programs. And then my last set of PMs are really focused on the product that I built at Experiment Engine Mm -hmm. that was ultimately integrated into the product suite at Optimizely called Program Management. And that's all of our workflow and collaboration tools for teams running experimentation at scale. Awesome. Awesome. And so the word experimentation has already come up a couple times, both in terms of being part of the actual name of the company that, that you founded, but also so core to the mission of what Optimizely is as well. So when it comes to experimentation, in product teams, what does a healthy culture of experimentation look like to you? Yeah, I think the thing that is most important in terms of a culture of experimentation is really approaching everything with hypothesis Mm -hmm. thinking, not approaching product with, I know that, but I think that this will happen and this is a way we can measure it. And so really taking, I want to write this blog post. And so if I commit to it here, it'll happen. But there are no genius product managers, Mm -hmm. right? There's no one who just absolutely knows how a customer is going to react. They're very smart and strategic and organized and thoughtful and data-driven product managers. But the best product managers really approach things with the mindset of, this is a hypothesis I have. This is how I'm going to measure whether or not I'm right. And I'm going to cycle through that quickly to get to the answer for the business and for the customers. And at a lot of companies, I think that type of thought process, at least that I've seen, sort of gets gets siloed within product management. Obviously, it's it's core to the job, but how do you spread that to to other disciplines? I mean, what role should engineering have and design have in coming up with these hypotheses and actually validating some of those assumptions? I love this question because I feel like it's teed up just particularly for me. So <laughs> the company that I built, Experiment Engine, was really founded on the concept that enterprise-wide experimentation was the only way you could really scale Mm -hmm. a program. And so one of the key problems we try to figure out is how do you break down silos between departments and truly build an end-to-end culture of experimentation, not just in product engineering and design, but in marketing, in customer success, in sales, in the executive team. And so what I did when I was CEO and co-founder of Experiment Engine is we built a SaaS platform for managing your experimentation, capturing ideas, prioritizing ideas, collaborating on bringing those to life, and then capturing the results from those experiments. So we use that product. It's now called Optimizely Program Management to solicit ideas from across the organization. And then in product, we have a weekly meeting that we call Experiment Review, where people who have submitted ideas can actually come present those ideas to a cross-functional group of engineers, designers, customer success people who then decide on, yeah, this is a good idea and we should definitely help resource running the experiment or resource getting it designed. And that's a great way to bring in 
experimentation from across the organization. Yeah, I mean, can you can you put us in in that room? What do those conversations look like? Yeah, so we spend the first half of the meeting inspecting a couple specific experiments. So those are either ones that are just ideas that we want to get promoted through sort of the approval flow mm-hmm. and, and into implementation, or they're experiments that have already run that we are looking at the results and really as a group trying to understand the data. And so for the ones that are presenting their experiment for prioritization, mm-hmm. we're really inspecting, does this reflect a customer problem? Yeah. What is the basis of your hypothesis? Do you have data? Do you have qualitative or quantitative understanding from our customers that makes us a valid hypothesis right. to start with? How are you going to measure this? Is this something we can actually measure given how our product is instrumented? And is this something we could potentially get to statistical significance with or not in an experiment in a reasonable amount of time? So we're really looking at the structure of a hypothesis, how you'll measure it, is it actually possible, and then sometimes the design of it and having debates on the best way to frame the experiment. And most experiments get through, although it sometimes takes a couple cycles of, you know what, I just thought this was a good idea and I had no other basis <laughs> yeah. for this hypothesis. I'm going to go back and look at data and see if this is actually a problem. Or, you know, I actually don't know how we're going to instrument the metric that I want to track here or if it's going to reach statistical significance. Let me loop back and come to the meeting with a better proposal. And so what it helps us do is train all parts of the organization on how to frame a good experiment, how to build a good hypothesis. And just by being in that room, somebody's idea gets better a week down the road. That's amazing. Yeah, what's my favorite meeting of the week. <laughs> and is there a prioritization framework that your team leans on? I mean, is it sort of the usual effort versus impact or yeah, anything special that you do? It, it is special, of course. <laughs> so again, in Experiment Engine, prioritization was one of the big problems that my startup was trying to solve. And so we've brought our prioritization framework into optimizely program management. We have a little flavor of that sort of standard prioritization model, call it the pill framework, which is potential, the potential of the test to increase your whatever your metric is, you know, how likely you think it is to win. The impact. So if the test does win, how high of an impact does it have on the business? If you're in e-commerce, something that's going to increase revenue per visitor right. is much higher impact than maybe capturing an email address. Mm-hmm. So sort of the impact of that specific test or funnel. The level of effort from very hard to very easy, that's typically engineering level of effort, but we kind of think about it as end-to-end level of effort for implementing the experiment. And then the last L, which is my favorite, is love. Yeah. So how much you just like the idea. Mm -hmm. Because what I found is a lot of people will skew those more quantitative metrics (laughs) based on how they feel. And what they're really trying to convey is, is this high impact, this high potential, it's pretty easy to do. I just hate this idea. And we wanted to give a place for people to air their grievances. And so when people really start to harp on a hypothesis or say, I just don't like this design— we really go back to, do you think it's high potential? Do you think it's high impact? Do you think the level of effort is scoped appropriately? And if the answer to those are all kind of aligned, then we just say, air your grievances in the score. Yeah. Like, just say you don't like so, it. So this is really a space for product intuition. This is a space for product intuition. Sometimes we call it the strategic importance, the, <laughs> the CEO lever. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, if the CEO comes in and says, I hate this idea and we're never going to make it live. Then, not well. to say that's how, that's how organizations work, but it's just good contextual information. Mm-hmm. So that's our framework. We actually just last week launched the ability for our customers to customize that framework. So we know 
that might not work for everyone. I, in fact, went through and customized our framework. Uh, the last score is no longer love, L-O-V-E. It's just a heart emoji. So added some flavor yeah. in, <laughs> in our own implementation of program management. But that's how we we prioritize on our team. When was program management already in existence when you got to Optimizely? Is there a point maybe that you feel like startups really need to bring this in when you reach a certain scale? Yeah, so I built this as part of my old startup experiment mm-hmm. engine. It was our core offering. It was the software to run uh, experimentation programs at scale and report on the success of those programs in aggregate. I was really focused on companies that at first were about 100 experiments or more per year and quickly evolving the product and the product team is focusing on companies that want to want to run 1,000 experiments wow. more a year. And at that point, and my original thesis for actually starting this company when I founded Experiment Engine was at that point, your roadblock on scale is not technology. It's not the ability to run A-B tests or integrate feature flags into your application. It really is, do I have enough ideas? Do I know how to prioritize them? Can I efficiently work them through the system so they get to customers quickly? And can I measure the impact of my experimentation program in a way that I can justify the investment moving Mm -hmm. forward? And so we built a SaaS product with Experiment Engine, that was those components. It was integrated with a lot of experimentation platforms. Optimizely was our closest partner, and we sold to a lot of Optimizely's highest volume enterprise customers who were trying to solve this problem. So it was very easy when we did the acquisition. We were already pre-built on Optimizely's APIs. So flipping that into an integrated... (laughs) Yeah, flipping that into an integrated part of the stack was actually pretty easy. And so... For anybody doing M&A, it's much easier when you have an open ecosystem and an open platform that companies can build on. And then when you do an acquisition, it's much easier to do the integration. Makes total sense. When you're experimenting at that scale, what are some of the things that your team does to help democratize the learnings from those experiments that everyone kind of knows what's going on, what levers are being pulled, and that there's got to be some sort of historical record, right? Yes. So... That was my question when I started Experiment Mm -hmm. Engine, is there has to be some sort of historical record, right? I, in fact, went to a company that ran about 250 experiments per Mm -hmm. year, pretty high volume, and put tons of money towards their experimentation program. And I went in and I was going to help them scale this up. And I said, well, can you give me an overview of what experiments have won and lost and sort of the themes of your experimentation program, what it looks like? And they said, oh, well, Bob knows. What if Bob leaves? What if Bob gets hit by a bus? I just was flabbergasted and I said, okay, this is a solvable problem. So a part of what was Experiment Engine is now program management is this searchable, filterable archive of experiment learnings. And it's not enough just to have the results page. So Optimizely has this lovely, statistically rigid, rigorous results page that will tell you how much confidence we have in the results, what the specific metrics are. But if you're coming into that results page a year later with no context, you probably don't have yeah. any idea what happened. <laughs> and so one of the capabilities we added through the course of integrating Experiment Engine was just the ability for somebody to annotate their results. To say, as a business, we decided this variation was the winner, this one was the loser, this is why, here's our documented analysis, and then we put that all in a repository for you to search. So if I want to go to our marketing team now and say, show me all the headline tests that won. Right. I can see all the headline tests that won. Or if I want to go to my product team and say, show me all the results page experiments that were inconclusive, like stuff that just didn't move the needle so we don't repeat it, 
it's now all accessible in this repository. That's great. And I think it's got to be a great tool for sort of the next thing I want to ask you about, which is you mentioned marketing there. Mm-hmm. They obviously need to be aware of what pieces of the pieces of the funnel are being adjusted and yeah. how that might affect some of the conversion things that, that they're measuring. What types of mechanisms do you, does your team have in place to sort of keep aligned with marketing? Yeah. So again, we use this tool program mm-hmm. management. It's all about visibility. So we all have access to each team's dashboard of what experiments they're running And we share a framework for sort of the sitemap of our digital experiences. So we know what's being tested, where, what stage it is. We know, oh, there's a test about to go live that's in setup and QA on our login page. And we have three other tests live on that page. Like we know there's potentially going to be a conflict Mm -hmm. there and we should should know about that. The other thing that we do in our, particularly in product and engineering, is – we write all the experiments that we run in a quarter on a big wall. And it's one of the key things that we track. So we set a goal at the beginning of the quarter and then we fill it in. Mm -hmm. So everybody kind of knows what's being experimented, where we're experimenting and where the high priority stuff is. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that... All businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise. Old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service. And it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. Do you have actual goals for your individual product managers regarding? I do. We just finalized our fiscal Q3 goals yesterday. So this is one of the thanks. You know, it's so fun to finalize your OKRs. But yeah, uh, this was one of the things that I thought was really important to bring into Optimizely and something I've seen be really effective in driving velocity and experimentation programs. My whole philosophy is you can't move it if you don't measure it. Mm -hmm. And so you can say, I want to build a culture of experimentation. What does that actually mean? And the simplest thing you can say is I want to run X experiments in this time period. So we started at the beginning of our fiscal year, Q1, we set a very baseline goal, which was we were going to run six product experiments. We're B2B, Mm -hmm. we're enterprise. We don't have super high volume like a consumer site would. So a experiment every other week seemed perfectly. Just run a little bit longer. Yeah, 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 perfectly reasonable. So we set six experiments per per quarter for the Q1. We hit that goal. 
Then this quarter, which was Q2, which is wrapping up today, we said, okay, we're going to run 20 experiments, actually 18. We're going to run 18 experiments this quarter, but it's going to be inclusive of engineering experiments, which are typically feature rollouts, yeah. which is a new capability Optimizely has. So we ran, we set this goal for 20. So we went from six to 18, and then we said engineering gets to play in this game. What we found is that about 15 of those experiments were actually run by engineering. And my product manager slacked a little bit. <laughs> so I've been giving them a, a, a hard, a hard, I know, uh-oh. I've been giving them a little bit Secrets of a hard out. time because they, you know, they've been helping their engineering partners run experiments, mm-hmm. but they themselves have not been doing as much product experimentation as I wanted. And I said, well, I didn't measure it. So this quarter we're doing 10 product experiments, 15 engineering experiments, and my product manager sign up for a set. It's basically one and a half per product manager about. So they should be able to do it. I am putting the pressure on. We'll measure it. We'll measure it in separate lanes on our wall and we'll make sure it happens. I'll have to follow up with you in about three months. Yeah. See, uh, see what the impact's been. What was really exciting is today is the last day of our Q2 and two days ago we had only run 15 experiments and we were just like, come on, <laughs> let's get it. And just by measuring it and sending out a message like, hey, Engineering and product team, we said we were going to do 18 in the next two days. We only have 15, like three experiments went live. So this measurement really does work. And it's it's a simplistic way to view it, but it's an effective way to mm-hmm. view it, particularly when you're just getting started with kind of your experimentation program, your sort of medium maturity. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned measurement in a bunch of different contexts mm-hmm. for the course of this discussion. Yeah. One thing that I, I see sometimes is there's a little bit of a struggle to focus on one individual metric with an experiment? Is that something that you think is really key to success? I do. I like to see a primary metric. So in in experiment review, what we typically look at, and part of our, we have a formal experiment brief, so fields and information you have to fill out Mm -hmm. when you're proposing a hypothesis to be run as an experiment. One of them is what's your primary metric? Like all things being equal. If this metric moves, what is the one needle will, that, you, yeah. will you make a decision on, on this experiment? And I'd like to define that because it really clarifies the customer problem that you're trying to solve. I think it's useful to have supporting metrics to provide you context, but it's good to know from a hypothesis framework, I like to say, based on some data, I think if we do X, users will do Y as measured by Z. And that Z can't be as measured by every metric under the sun. So I think if you can get your hypothesis framed in a really simple way and get clear on your primary metric, that's a good starting place. Does that help you for scoping that experiment as well? It does. It helps for scoping the experiment. It also helps for scoping the amount of time an experiment would take to run. If we look at things like more downstream metrics that don't happen very frequently or happen at low volume, those aren't particularly good primary metrics because they take so long to get to statistical significance. What may be an example of one of those? So for retail, a good example is returns, Mm -hmm. right? If you're doing an e-commerce experiment, And you're ultimately tracking not just do they purchase it, not does it arrive to their house, but that it ultimately gets returned. That's just going to take a really long time to get to statistical significance because the difference between the kind of experiment point and the point of the metric you're measuring is very far apart. But if you do something like conversion rate or average order value, that's much closer Now, I think those further along metrics are really important. And in some high volume industries or high volume companies, 
you can actually experiment track to those. And that's what we see very high maturity customers do. It's just not something as a B2B enterprise product we have we have the ability to wait like six months for an experiment yeah. to reach statistical significance on some far-fetched metric. I imagine with the nature of your business, it's a little bit of an assumption, but uh, does the sales sales team ever put you in touch with product teams that other companies might be customers that are mm-hmm. sort of struggling with this idea? And if so, like where do you see them tripping up? Yeah, so we in the last 18 months have launched our server-side experimentation product and our feature flagging capability called Optimizely Full Stack. That is particularly to serve product teams in doing product experimentation like Optimizely does. Yeah. The things that you want to test in products simply can't or to, to some extent can't always be done with like a client-side solution mm-hmm. like our classic Optimizely web solution. So yeah, we talk to product product teams all the time. And it's it's a variety of questions we get from product teams. One, what kind of things should my product team be experimenting on? Two, my product team already knows what to build. So don't tell me to experiment. And that's sort of a cultural <laughs> shift that you have to right. make and, and kind of challenge those assumptions. The third piece, though, I think is the more interesting piece for us is product gets it. But how do we get engineering on board mm-hmm. with this being a core competency of a sophisticated, mature engineering organization? How do we tell the story that experimentation and feature flagging and gradual rollouts are part of a continuous deployment Mm -hmm. story that ultimately results in faster engineering velocity and better quality, even though it requires a little bit more work? I think that's that's the conversation we have. Product people tend to be our allies in that conversation. You just got to bring the engineers along. Yeah, we have have a saying here that that shipping is our heartbeat. So we're uh, we're big believers in that concept as well. Um, what is there anything that you've really seen to help shift that mindset or is it just more of a long discussion yeah, and, and giving th- this a try? I think there's a couple things. One, you point to organizations that particularly engineering organizations that people admire mm-hmm. and you say this is just business as usual right. for them, right? The biggest and most successful companies in the world have built experimentation to core into their their competency. And so I think that's one thing you can do. The, the second thing that you can do is really play to the value that you're driving for each of these organizations with experimentation. So I say on the product side, there are two reasons you experiment. There are probably two, These are probably the two reasons why you do anything in, in life. <laughs> it's either fear or greed. Mm-hmm. And product managers are greedy. Product managers want more adoption of their product. They want more usage of their features. They do greed-based experiments. If I do this, my customer will use this product yeah. feature. If I do that... I'll get to acquire more users. So you really speak to the greed use cases with product managers. With engineers, you tend to speak to the fear use case, which is how do you know that this isn't going to break something? Mm -hmm. How do you know that this won't um, have some small bug that you didn't catch that then hits your most strategic customer? Exactly. And building sort of a how do you know you're not going to have to spend however many dev hours rolling back a big release you did because it didn't work for customers? And so I think if you if you frame the product experimentation story as sort of like be greedy, like you can get stuff as a product manager. And, and, the, enter, and the engineering one is really about quality and velocity and risk mitigation mm-hmm. where you want to wrap all of your deploys in a rollout. You want your deployment mechanism separate from your delivery mechanism to customers so that you have more granular control over it in case things go sideways. Yeah, definitely. One element I think we'd be remiss not to mention here is we've talked a lot about um, measurements and hypotheses and working between different aspects of your organization, be it marketing, be it engineering, but 
Of course, the voice of the customer does have to play mm-hmm. a role here as well. And what are the types of ways that you're, you advocate for your product managers to to stay close to the voice of your customers and make sure that they have a, a say in this process as well? Yeah, I don't know if this is particularly unique to enterprise. I think it is because we sell and product managers are very close to deals. But mm-hmm. my product managers spend a lot of time in person, on the phone, yeah. in video conferences, in email communication with our customers. If I ask in any given month which customers my PMs have met with, I get a list back of like 50 different customers. So my PMs spend a lot of time with customers just really understanding their use cases. It's a luxury that we have as an enterprise company because we don't have millions of users Mm -hmm. of our product and we can really go to some of our most strategic or most mature customers and really have long, deep conversations. Maybe spend a day on site, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. We travel a lot. And so I think that's really important and useful. The other thing that we do is we use experimentation to drive research engagement with our team. So often when we're planning a new feature release, we have an idea for a new feature, but we're not sure kind of what customers think of it or if we've gotten it quite right. We'll do what we call a painted door test, which is essentially creating a UI component that indicates that a feature is available when it's not. Mm -hmm. And then when a user clicks it, we say, awesome, you're interested in this thing. Would you like to talk to the product manager about your needs? And then we've been able to solicit really great conversations out of modules like that, that then sometimes dramatically change the course of direction that we go with a product. So it's been really fun to use Optimizely as a way to capture sort of qualitative feedback from customers about what they want from our feature set. That's great. So Speaking of Optimizely, I mean, what's next for you and your team and where can we keep up with the latest happenings there? Yeah, so we want to make everybody listening on this podcast really successful. So we're really focused on this product experimentation use case and making our server-side experimentation tools even more powerful. So what's interesting about our product team is we use our client-side web experimentation product just as much as our server-side product. We use it to do these promotions and point people to features and do painted door tests. But the real power in product experimentation lies when you can embed experimentation deep in your code. And so my product managers think deeply about how to service other product managers and product leaders to drive value for their customers. So that's where a lot of our thinking is focused. We also want to provide leadership and insights on how to do this. So things like this podcast where we can talk about how we run our experimentation Mm -hmm. program. On Medium, we have a product experimentation blog where we talk about best practices, common pitfalls, big mistakes, funny things you hear in experiment review that just give other teams some insight into how to actually do this on the product side. Great. Well, we'll be sure to check out the blog on Medium and best of luck in the next quarter with your big experiment quotas. Great. Thanks. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.